you know, we need to really understand the benefits of the digital workplace as articulated by our staff, not as articulated by us, if we want to appeal to colleagues. One of the questions that digital workplace leaders are always asking, and that is, uh, if we build it, will they come? Will they use the digital workplace uh, that we that we invest uh, large sums of money in order to be able to put into place? Hi, I'm Paul Miller, and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices, and people impacting the new digital worlds where we work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking and boutique consulting services. And if you'd like more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. Um, today's episode is Accelerating Adoption in Your Digital Workplace, and we've got three excellent guests for you. But before we get into that, I wanted to tell you about something that's coming to the world in February next year. And the story is that every year or so in DWG, we have a strange rush of blood to the head. And we decide that we are going to go live for 24 hours, nonstop, bringing everybody the world's best digital workplaces from wherever you are. Lots of practitioners, lots of tours, lots of experts, lots of guests, thought leaders. And it is a unique digital workplace event. It broadcasts, as I say, for 24 hours. And it's going to be coming to you next February, the 26th and 27th. We start off at 10 a.m. London time. Then we go from London to New York, then to L.A., then over to Sydney, Singapore, back to Europe, to Amsterdam, and then return for the final hours in London. So that's 24 hours of the world's best digital workplaces and it is really quite an extraordinary thing. I can't believe that we did the first one of these in 2008. And it's now going to be 2019. And I think this is the sixth one. So is it more than six? God, need to find that out. Anyway, it's really quite a remarkable thing. And if you'd like to register for this, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash digital workplace 24 hyphen 2019 and you can see all the things that are going to happen in this festival of the digital workplace we've got some really amazing features like the dw24 collective you can arrange viewing parties you can sit back you can be lying on a beach and enjoy it you can create conference rooms booked with some of your colleagues around the world and enjoy it like that anyway no doubt I'll be telling you more about it as we get closer to the time. Now for today's episode, Accelerating Adoption in Your Digital Workplace. So I'm delighted to um, be here today to talk about a fairly new uh, research paper from the Digital Workplace Group. It's called Digital Workplace Adoption Strategies, Proven Approaches to Bring Users on Board. And it's great to have both the author of the report, Kevin Alp, who was formerly in charge of 
the digital workplace at Northwestern Mutual and is now uh, in part of his working life involved with authoring reports for the digital workplace group, helping us run some of our meetings and gatherings. Um, I'm also delighted to be joined by Jackie Randall. Um, Jackie is the head of intranet and organisational behaviour change for Scottish Government based in Edinburgh and and also uh, by Morton Dahl. Uh, Morton is the internal communications manager um, in corporate communications for Pandora. Um, uh, Morton, you're based in Stockholm, have I got that right? Copenhagen in Denmark. Quite. Copenhagen, so I got Scandinavia, but wrong country. Okay, okay. Well, anyway, it's great to have you all on the uh, show today. So can I just start off, um, Kevin, since you were the author of this wonderful report on adoption, um, for people who are tuned in, can you just give us an insight into what the report is about? Sure, Paul. I absolutely can. The, uh, uh, the report is really comes down to one of the questions that digital workplace leaders are always asking, and that is, uh, if we build it, will they come? Will they use the digital workplace uh, that, we, that we invest uh, large sums of money in order to be able to put into place? Uh, and so you know, the, the report really interviews some of the leaders in the adoption space uh, Jackie from Scottish National Government here uh, is one of the one of the featured uh, organizations on the report, uh, as well as uh, Siemens and Marolio, uh, with the idea of seeing if we can glean some learnings as to how some of the leaders in this space are getting adoption within their digital workplaces. Mm-hmm. Um, we did uh, one of the things that uh, that we found that was was incredibly interesting about this is that in a lot of cases, we as digital workplace leaders were asking the wrong questions going in. Uh, We were asking, what are the things that we can do uh, to help people to adopt the digital workplaces that we're building? And and at the end of the day, uh, the questions that came out of it really were very, very different. Uh, they, They led around the idea of, is there an organizational commitment to a single integrated digital workplace? Is there a singular owner? The questions that we should be asking are around our target audiences and whether or not we're building digital workplaces that uh, are able to address the problems and the real life needs of those users. Hmm. So that's a, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. So if I've got that right, you, you you went in with this idea that it's it's about trying to raise adoption, and actually what you found out that actually the issues were re- really around it, it is what we're asking people to adopt fit for purpose. Is it meeting user needs? And the analogy that comes to mind is that you know you you open a restaurant somewhere. Um, pay absolutely no attention to whether people want to eat there, whether it's in the right location. And then you just do lots and lots of marketing. You do lots and lots of promotion. You try and get people to come and eat there. But the problem is the restaurant. Um, and, and it's almost like uh, it's, it's, it's a sort of back to front way of thinking about it. That's a great analogy, Paul. We, we always think that there's, there's some really great promotional program we can do with our users that will, that will entice them to come and use a digital workplace. And, and in reality, uh, if the digital workplace is not solving real-world problems uh, for the people who are the users, uh, they, they are less likely to come. 
Mm. That's great. And and so uh, what would you uh, uh, maybe you've already covered it. What what are the main conclusions of the report? Um, uh, how would you summarize those? Well, as we as we talk to uh, different organizations, what we really found is that uh, we found seven factors that were influencing adoption, uh, and they they really center around uh, the perception of value and the perception of difficulty. Those are the first two. Uh, how users perceive uh, the value of what is being offered and the difficulty it's going to take to be able to change behavior. Uh, we we also found. Uh, organizational commitment um, and how the organization is organized in terms of org chart. Do you, is, there a, is there a particular area of the organization that has responsibility for the digital workplace or is it shared across a number of different organizations? Um, those two also big impact. Uh, the uh, sustainability, is, there, is, it, is the digital workplace seen as a uh, as a project, or is it seen as a program that extends beyond the actual development of the digital work to ensure that it is continually upgraded, it is continually uh, adjusted to the needs, changing needs of the workforce. Uh, and then finally, uh, looking at uh, the audience itself and the variability within the audience uh, and really using that variability. Different people in different parts of the organization need different things. And uh, can we design our digital workplace to be able to um, meet different needs for those different groups? Tell me, Kevin, what, what was it that surprised you most with this report? Or maybe you've already told us what, what, what surprised you most. It did, it did surprise me that it's less about the adoption plans that we as digital workplace leaders put in. And the fact that you're actually uh, adoption really stems from uh, some decisions that you make very early in the, in the, uh, in the digital workplace program process, uh, determining what the digital workplace organization is going to be and, and what are the things that it's going to offer. And so that was, that was to me, uh, the biggest surprise is that you have to start much earlier in the process thinking about adoption in order to be able to get to the end results you want. Mm. And and my my sort of silly trivial question is that the the cover of the report has got this really interesting image of a horse sort of slightly fragmenting and and you know did you is this because uh, you, you know you you wanted this narrative and storyline to run through the report as a as a metaphor? Yeah, the uh, the the horse the horse really represents uh, the fact that adoption isn't new to technology. Uh, adoption has been happening in human culture for uh, centuries. Uh, and so the, within the report, there's a very interesting story about the adoption of horses in North America and how different tribes adopted horses uh, in different ways. Uh, as an example, uh, the, uh, the Nez Perce tribe uh, out on the eastern plateau country of Oregon, um, they adopted horses uh, from the perspective of uh, the ability to be able to become uh, a new player in a new uh, segment. They were actually horse breeders. And so they made their, their, uh, their, their mark uh, by becoming known for uh, breeding of horses. 
the Appaloosa horse, as an example, that that was one of their breeds. It was bred for endurance. It was bred for the ability to be able to be uh, great in warfare. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the story of the Comanches uh, was very different. They were low on the totem pole with uh, with Indian tribes, and they were a tribe of nomads, carried their few possessions on foot as they moved from area to area. They had very little to lose, and so with little to risk, they adopted horses quickly and aggressively into their daily lives. Uh, it allowed them to carry more for longer distances and had an increased advantage from fighting above. And the Comanche really moved with the use of the adoption of this new tool, horses, uh, quickly moved within one generation from one of the lowest status tribes in North America to one of the highest status tribes. And so the horse, the fragmented horse, really talks to the idea that we need to not think of adoption from the perspective of technology, but more from the perspective of the different groups within our organization, what they need and what their motivations are going to be in order to be able to adopt uh, whatever it is that we put out there. Mm. What a fantastic, it's such a fantastic story. And I'm immediately kind of back in the early days of uh, of the United States, getting a kind of picture of, of all those things. And, 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 and Morton and, and Jackie, um, it's sort of the case, isn't it, that we sometimes lack those kind of stories around technology, those kind of metaphors that can can explain things. I don't know. I don't know, Morton, whether within Pandora you've tried to use any any kind of stories or illustrations to, if you like, bring something that can sound quite dry to life. Let's say it's you know adoption adoption of Microsoft Teams or Yammer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, have, have you had any experience with that? Uh, actually, yes, because when we uh, when we uh, came up with the strategy for the new digital workplace, we also from the beginning did a bit of of, uh, of uh, marketing effort. So we actually decided to to do apply some storytelling when we had to roll out the digital workspace. So that's why we kind of invented some cartoonish figures that would be the storytellers of, of the whole idea of the uh, digital workplace. So we applied storytelling as the compelling tool to actually onboard our, our thousands of users. Mm. That's that's great. And, and and Jackie, any any experience within Scottish government um, of, of trying to use um, stories or narrative to try and, if you like, kind of bring the the ideas home to, to people? Absolutely. We did something very similar, actually, in that we uh, developed a set of personas for staff. So with the Scottish government uh, encouraging staff to use a digital workplace was a huge cultural change. So we tried to create a new social norm by uh, allowing people to fill in a quick quiz, which would allocate them with a, a social media of our lurkers, our commenters and our innovators. And that sort of allowed, in a kind of fun way, people to understand the different roles that the digital workplace could play and their role within that. So a little bit like storyboarding um, just kind of helped it to us to make the, the, the technology resonate with people and see their place within it. Mm, that's that's great and can can i ask you also jackie just from a from a practitioner organization perspective um you know uh based on the report what what do you think the main challenges are that you 
within the Scottish government face with with adoption and 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 how have you uh, addressed those? Of course, yeah. Well, I think it's, it's a tricky question, but there's 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 two things really. Um, as I mentioned, we're trying to achieve a huge cultural change here in the Scottish government at the moment, and anyone who's worked with government before will know that traditionally. Uh, civil servants in any government tend to be faceless. We work behind the scenes, we let the ministers do the talking and we have a tendency to work in silos like many other organisations, but it's perhaps more pronounced with us. Um, And I think they they say knowledge is power. I think traditionally colleagues are very averse to sharing information and knowledge via their digital workplace because it diminishes their expertise and their sense of responsibility. So when we went out with our new digital workplace and and when we were encouraging colleagues to use that to collaborate and to make themselves known and to work out loud and share information, then we were asking them to adopt a completely different persona. Um, And we were asking them to give away some of that power, that knowledge. And it's it's not easy to turn that that ship around. So that was, that was one of our challenges. Um, And secondly, um, You know, we have a lot of users. There's 6,000 staff in the core Scottish government. And if you add in um, our currently seven, soon to be 10 executive agencies, uh, it's about 11,000. Yeah, so and that number is growing year on year. And we've got staff working in a range of roles. We've got corporate services like HR, finance. We've got ministerial private secretaries. We've got drivers. We have policy officials. And we have colleagues who work out in the field in our agricultural and and our marine offices. So there's really no one-size-fits-all offer. And Kevin uh, alluded to this earlier. You know, we need to really understand the benefits of the digital workplace as articulated by our staff, not as articulated by us, if we want to appeal to colleagues. And that means we need to get under the skin of what motivates them and uh, what what they need in order to do their job, their job, sorry, and what their fears and barriers are. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, it really goes back to that restaurant analogy as well before you can build something, but they won't come to it unless they can understand the benefits for themselves. Mm. And, and Morton, it, it, it's sort of true, isn't it, that within organisations, um, we've kind of assumed that because something at a at a senior level often at a senior technology level is decided is is the right way to go that that it's almost um a responsibility for people to simply um you know use these things and adopt them but but i would imagine in a highly brand focused organization like pandora um you've taken particular approaches to to promote adoption i'd be interested to know what what those are yeah, exactly. And and in our case, it was a global exercise. And we actually also had to not only persuade top management, but also local management that uh, there would be benefits for, for local people. So um, we also used, of course, business cases to, to show the hard figures of, of what the investment or return on investment would be. But certainly we also applied this storytelling also for top management. And it also helped that you would give it a bit of a nice uh, that you uh, use the storytelling, and of course we also use the gamification and music to to uh, engage people. So, so I would say that um, uh, putting in early in the adoption plan that you actually want to meet people face to face. That's where you can make a big difference in in our experience. Could you just tell me a little bit more about that, and also what you mean by the use of gamification with with music? Um, that sounds intriguing. It's, exactly. Yeah. So, so basically what we did, we did a global uh, onboarding, but we did it in two tracks. First track would be to go to local management and actually 
onboard them, tell them what's in it for you, and also tell them that you have local ownership. You own part of this digital village. And then they would appoint people to, to, to be trained in, in, in putting content and the news editors up there. And then we would come back and celebrate when we were ready to go live in a market and then make sure that the management would be present and endorse uh, the use of the new digital workspace. We would celebrate by um, eating cakes and uh, giving people um, goodie bags with information and power banks. So that there will also be some you know, incentives for people to, to actually care to train uh, how to use the new tools. So, uh, so I would say that the, the more you could use storytelling uh, and actually face-to-face engagement, uh, the better impact and the, uh, the more speedy adoption you will experience. That's, that's, that's great. And um, Kevin, that's, that's a, a really interesting way of thinking about it, isn't it? It is. It is. I, I think the, the, the key thing that I'm hearing as Morton is talking is, is the organizational commitment and how that's communicated to everyone within the organization. Uh, you know, the ability to be able to, if it's using storytelling, if it's just using the senior leaders of the organization uh, being visible and using different pieces of the tools that, that we're putting out there, it, it sends a message that people follow. Mm. And and uh, Jackie, just in terms of, of thinking about, if you like, segmenting, because we're talking about audiences here, and, and Kevin in the report's got a, a piece on uh, what's called the diffusion of innovations theory, um, which... To me, to me, in my simplistic way of thinking about it is is sort of who do you who do you target first? You know, do you do you go with the 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 early adopters who are all, always going to be up for everything? Uh, do you go for the fifteen uh, percent who are always going to be the most stubborn um, early majority? What what's what's your thinking about um, that in terms of people that you you most um, uh, focus on first? That's a really good question because we base most of our behaviour change strategy, our adoption strategy on the diffusion of innovation curve. So very oh, right. okay. <laughs> very helpful. Um, I suppose there, what we found was if you overlay the, the diffusion of innovation curve with some very basic principles, you can provide solutions and provide incentives for people to adopt your digital workplace without necessarily targeting individual groups. So just to sort of explain that, um, for our early adopters, a very small you know, portion of our organisation, maybe 15% at, at most, um, we simply let them get on with what it was they wanted to do. You know, create a set of permissive guidelines. Here's your digital workplace. Here are some of the, the guidelines for doing that, to using it safely, and then they get on with it themselves. Uh, for our innovators, they would have found workarounds if we hadn't pr- provided them with a digital workplace. So they're the likes that those people would have been on Slack. They would have been on Google Docs. They would have found a way to make to, to help themselves work without us actually facilitating it. Um, and for others, the early majority, the late majority, we found that if you can show them what to do or offer them support, then they will tend to follow on. So you've got your early majority. We perhaps show them. Uh, we had, a, we had, for example, a reverse mentoring scheme called Digital Friends, where we would match those individuals up with a, a more junior member of staff who could show them the ropes on the digital workplace, particularly on Yammer, 
And in return, those uh, mentors would get careers advice from their more senior mentees. And so we just gave them a little bit of uh, support and showed them how to go on with it. And that's about 35% of the organisation going by our research. So that started to tip that late majority who then followed suit. With with the individuals, the laggards, as they're sometimes pejoratively known, Mm. um, they're never going to come to the party. But... Mm it's really important not to ignore them. So we found that um, as long as we worked out loud within our own team, as long as we were on Yammer sharing our um, updates with our staff about the digital workplace, inviting them into user groups, keeping them informed, we could satisfy them without necessarily concentrating all our efforts on changing their opinions. Because if we did that, we would never get anywhere with our early majority. So we we did leave them, but we, we made sure we communicated openly with them. We made sure we responded openly to their concerns and their queries, said what we could do, what we couldn't do, but we didn't we didn't concentrate too much effort on them. Mm. And and Morton, what approach have you taken in, in Pandora? Have you thought about your your workforce in in this um, kind of way? So knowing that you would have both categories or perhaps three categories in in every market. We kind of uh, persuaded management that when we went live with this, um, management would uh, require everyone to attend training and be present. So if you kind of buy in from, or get the buy-in from from top management, uh, also locally, uh, and they endorse what is going to happen, then you would also have the skeptical people attending, uh, go live and also training, and then, when you also do a marketing effort and there's a bit of buzz and hype around it, then perhaps you will also stir interest among those who would be born skepticals. That, that was our experience, that we kind of served a bit of infotainment. So, so that's why we also engaged uh, what you would uh, say would be late adopters. And, and the way also to onboard late adopters would be that, uh, in our case, we would be present on location for several days, meaning that uh, the early adopters, they would be up and running on day one, but but those who would be more or late adopters, they would be on on day two or three. But the fact that you would stay there and onboard people until they really had a chance to use it, that made a a big difference. And that's also what we can see on on our help desk. Right. And that and that really reminds me of the the experience of of Barclays Bank. And and they were on an earlier episode of the podcast, along with Wells Fargo. And one of the things that they did when they were going through a, a digital kind of reinvention of the bank, Several years ago, they they made the largest purchase ever at that time of ten and a half thousand iPads for all the people in the UK retail bank. And it was all part of a drive to, if you like, digitize experience within the the retail outlet of the bank. So they they buy all the iPads. um, They 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 send them all to people in the organization. Um, they think people are just going to kind of love this because at that time everybody the iPad was very new. People were excited about it. Um, it wasn't uh, particularly locked down uh, in terms of a device. And what they found was um, when they were checking, you know, two or three weeks later, is that most of the iPads was just sitting in a box um, because it wasn't simply about if you like throwing the technology, great though it was, at people. And then what they did, picking up on what um, what you are saying, uh, Morton, is that they they realised they really needed to do some physical handholding with people. They then came up with their idea of um, one of the earlier 
uh, digital mentoring programs, a bit like the one you've described, um, Jackie, um, digital eagles, and they got some of the younger people to become digital ambassadors for the for the organisation, and 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 again that sort of handholding, and that that's so important. I mean, did you find Kevin when you were re- looking at the and researching this that this this sort of non digital aspect of adoption was was seen to be important absolutely paul and and the you know the, the one of the one of the realities of this that, that we found was that when we talked to organizations it, there was a limited amount of resources and money available to be able to do some of these human side kind of integrations that that help people to to adopt and what I think is brilliant about what uh, what both Morton and also what Jackie are, have done in their organizations is they've they've recognized this, and so they have prioritized the audiences that they are uh, going after with those. Uh, in the case of the Scottish government, the early majority and the late majority, uh, what they've done is is actually taken some of the human audiences that are are uh, likely to adopt and turn them into advocates that then go out and help them uh, in converting some of the more difficult folks to adopt. So they've really taken their money that they invest in this and they've leveraged it so that they've got lots of voices that are helping them uh, to be able to drive adoption. And I think that's really that's really, really brilliant on, on both organizations and, and how they've done this. Yeah, and, and, and a silly question, um, but for all of you, um, uh, maybe a bit of obvious one to ask, but, you know, we assume that adoption is an important um, asset for an organization. Um, but why is adoption seen to be so important? Um, Jackie, do you want to respond to that one? Sure, yeah, I think... Um... I suppose the easy answer is that if you're not able to quantify your adoption rates, you've got a really hard sell when it comes to securing funding. You know, if we come back to basics, mm. so every year yeah. we, have, we, we have to spend money on this every year. We have to um, allocate budgets. We have to fight for something that, and particularly in our organisation, might not be seen as the most important thing on the list. <laughs> um, so it's hard to do that when you don't have really stark statistics. Um and we will always try to achieve those statistics. We'll always try and drive up our adoption rates. Um, but for us, it's very much, it's, like it's really the quality of the conversations that count. So, you know, if, for example, um, so basically, so ad- adoption rates are quite a crude measurement. And if you take, for example, parts of the business that really genuinely don't need it, you know, there are some parts of the business that will not ever engage with our digital workplace because they don't need it to do our, their jobs, particularly perhaps if they're out in the field. Um, it, it, it becomes a bit of a redundant me- measurement. So I think as long as you concentrate on the quality of the conversations in the right places and people using that technology uh, to help them do their jobs, then it's, it, that's much more valuable for us anyway. Yeah. And um, uh, Morton, what's what's your thoughts? Because there is a sort of mantra that, that adoption is, is just an inherent good. Um, why, 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 why is that? Well, I don't know why it is, but but I think that that the adoption, I would say, adoption is key to drive home return on investment. So so uh, I think adoption is to kind of do the job, to finish the job. So so in every major exercise, you would expect to yeah do the job and finish the job. But I guess that the organisations of of big scale, 
They have seen plenty of projects where you just launch a new platform or new project and, and do, do a half job. So I think whether you call it adoption or, or what onboarding, whatever, I think it is actually to, to, to finish the exercise. And that is in this case, actually to onboard and train people to make sure that they, they know how effectively to use the digital workspace. I think that mm. that is key. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it's it's also about the appropriate level of adoption. I mean, you know, you mentioned Yammer, um, uh, and and one of the things is well, well, what how much use of the tool is is the right amount, and this is true for across all the different digital workplace services. So I had an experience of this um, just anecdotally on Saturday night. So it was my mum's. 97th birthday which unfortunately ended after a very nice lunch with her in uh, accident emergency she's okay um, uh, in North Manchester so what was interesting was obviously what you want is is people to be as much hands-on physically in a situation like that as possible which they were but they're constantly then also dipping in and out of technology um, that will allow them to um, understand who they're dealing with, get kind of historical records. Um, but what you don't want is too much use of the technology because that then gets in the way of of the core um, activity, which in this case is is, is treating patients. And I, I thought it was a really interesting example of, you know, it's, it's not that we want lots of frequent use. We just want the right appropriate level of use. Would that, would that be fair, Kevin? That's very fair. You know the, uh, the the stakes the stakes are high when it comes to when it comes to uh, adoption within an organization for uh, the digital workplace leader because because you're balancing a lot of different things. I think as, as Jackie mentioned, funding is is important, and if you if you introduce things that that drive behavior that does not lead to the overall goals of the organization, even though you might get really great adoption on something where, you know, the old, the old uh, uh, adage is always a tool that lets people post pictures of their cat. Um, if, if it's not the, if it's not the adoption that uh, your leadership team is looking for, it can actually hurt your ability to be able to get future funding. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, um, and, and one of the things that I think has been interesting, um, and I'd be interested in any views you've got, is that some of the technology vendors, Workplace by Facebook, and I think for Microsoft's doing this, is that the, the, their move to a, a pay-only-for-active-users approach. So um, in this case, those two vendors have a, a vested interest in making sure that their tools are being adopted. Do, do you regard this, um, perhaps first from you, Jackie, as a as a healthy um, change from the from the from some of the technology vendors? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I think I think in a sense, if 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 you're trying to force adoption for something like an enterprise social network like Yammer or Workplace by Facebook. Um, it's kind of like trying to force people to vote or to complete surveys. You know, they might do it, but the, the outcome might not be particularly positive for the organisation, you know, if you're trying to drive mm. up adoption in that way. Um, and I mean, we've had a really interesting experience over the last say, eight years with Yammer. Um, uh, quite often I hear people say that they really couldn't have got Yammer off the ground had it not been for their, their senior leaders, get, getting their senior leaders on board and driving the conversations and leading the change. 
you know, really driving up adoption rates. But um, our Yammer network started off as a freemium version. It was a bit of an experiment. Uh, some of the guys in comms and IT set it up. Um, it was never endorsed as a corporate tool by our senior leadership, but it grew arms and legs of its own accord. Um, and it's because of that, it's owned by employees rather than the corporate centre. It, it's almost, it's, it's built itself in some ways. And it really provides a, a refreshing alternative to uh, the really corporate style of the news on our homepage, for our corporate, our corporate communications homepage. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why Yammer and our organisation has really taken off. And most of our organisations has actually adopted the network. Um, 40% of them are regularly active on, on it, which is pretty high, considering it's had no formal push from the centre. And I think if you're in a position with a provider like um like Facebook, who's, who's you know trying to drive up adoption rates in, in that sense. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure that could work. I think it's much better when it works organically. Um, and I wouldn't mm. want to be sort of pushed in any way by a vendor who cared too much <laughs> about the sure. number of people we had mm. actively using it. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Can I can I say something, Paul? This is uh, sure. Yeah, I, I think, um, Paul, uh, th- this is a very interesting uh, discussion and, and also a very interesting approach by the vendors. But I think uh, from the organizational perspective, you should, you should start uh, elsewhere. Namely, when you consider introducing a global digital workspace or just an a, a, uh, intranet, I think you would need to, to, um, to uh, reflect what people need to do their tasks when they're working for a company, for an organization. So if you already involve uh, your audience in the first phase and where you kind of develop and you ask people what kind of tools they need, then you would also be sure when you, when the day comes and and you introduce a work, uh, a workspace that the features that would come with the digital workspace actually reflects what people need. So, so the earlier you can actually involve users and ask what is it that you need to do your daily job, the better chance you have of, of a good adoption because when you launch the product, you know that the customer wants the product. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, there are so many illustrations of that. And we think we, we, we expect that in the external world and somehow it, it is definitely translating, and I think some of the examples that you've all given of 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 really thinking this through in a far more um, user centric um, and audience centric way is is a terrific. Um, so, Kevin, if if you were doing a sequel to this report, what what would, what would you want to include? Would you would you move from horses to to cars, and then an analogy around the development of the motor vehicle? Um, where would you go? Well, I think the I think the the, the sequel would just build upon the idea that um, it's it's not about the horses or the cars <laughs> or Yammer or digital workplace. Uh, as Morton just said, it's it's really about uh, the people and making sure that you are uh, meeting their needs. And and from a, something to to leave just to think on is that. In many ways, as a digital workplace leader in your organization, you know, think about when you're going to the movies, and uh, if you if you have a favorite director, uh, if you have a favorite director, when their new movie comes out, you're more likely to say, oh, "I want to go see that. I want to I want to try it out." And if you, as a as a digital workplace team, 
are doing it, as Morton had suggested, and Jackie certainly does in her organization. Um, if you spend a lot of time listening to your audience as to what they need, and you deliver things consistently that are adopted because you've, you've hit the target, what happens is your, your workforce, your user base, begins to expect that when something new comes out on the digital workplace, it's going to be useful. And all of a sudden, your, your, your adoption process becomes a lot easier because people say, I want to go see that movie. Mm, so maybe, great. Maybe, the, maybe the movies are the next, are the next, uh, next edition of this, of this series. Absolutely. Well, again, you, co- you completely hooked me with that, with that story and that analogy. And I, I love this idea of, of almost developing a somewhat celebrity reputation within your digital workplace um, uh, group and team that the things that they release. I remember at the BBC, they were doing some fantastic work around the early stages of intranets and they really developed a great um, reputation as a resource for the organization. Um, so um, Morton and Jackie, um, so this is a piece of research just come out from DWG. Um, so if there was going to be another piece of research in the adoption area, um, do you have a sense of where you think that ought to focus? Uh, shall I go first? Uh, I think, um, sure. Yeah, you go first. Yep. Okay. I think, um, so for me, it's about uh, looking into how behavioural insights can influence adoption in the digital workplace. So we use, certainly in government, we use behavioural insights all the time in, in the creation of public policy, but applying it internally to organisational change is quite a fledgling industry, um, but it has huge potential. So certainly something that we tried to do when we... Um, when we developed our adoption strategy was was look at the what motivates behavior you know individual social and material factors that that motivate individuals behavior and getting a better understanding of those and the factors that influence the way that people act every day can help you to develop much more um useful intervention so i think something on you know in the mind space area or east or how we use combi or the various different behavioral insights uh platforms or, or uh, frameworks could be really interesting in this sphere. Taking it that one step further, I suppose, yep. to understanding what, what governs people's behaviour. Great, thank you. And um, Morton, what, what would you say if we were looking at another kind of version? Yeah, I think it would be very interesting to hear how adoption and uh, you know, the technical side of, of digital workplace, how that fits into the concept of employee experience. So if we could also talk it into not only technology, but also culture and the physical space and really mm. talk it into what is it that creates this uh, employee experience that will make a big difference for the output of an organization if you can actually um, build that exciting experience for your employees. Yeah, that's that, that's great. And um, I'll just give each of you a, a chance for a, for a final comment um, Kevin, um, uh, over to you. I have to. I have to admit, I'm going off uh, off off uh, off script here. Um, Go. I'm, I know. I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm excited. I'm wondering where this is. What's next? Yeah. <laughs> Final. I, you know, as as I look at this, uh, I think about uh, we are always looking at where we invest our resources, and uh, and and. You know, we all are struggling with limited resources, and uh, and part of the part of the job is really trying to figure out where to best put those dollars. And I think when it comes to adoption, 
uh, it's very easy to be able to say, you know, that's where we can cut in order to be able to, in order to be able to deliver something else. And the reality of it is, and I think you've heard it from the speakers on here, is that, you know, at the end of the day, if you do this right, if you start early, as Morton suggested, and if you're really targeted towards what an organization is trying to accomplish, as Jackie had suggested, um, you can you can invest a small amount of money in this space wisely, and you can uh, create results that are going to make your digital workplace uh, better better used, better better viewed, uh, more value to the organization, and something that will generate your ability to be able to. Uh, uh, generate additional funding to be able to maintain it and keep it going. Great, thank you. Um, and and Morton, uh, any final thoughts or comments you have? Uh, no, not apart from I think it's very uh, um, exciting to have these discussions, and I think uh, uh, Kevin's report is is very valuable. Um, I remember from from uh, the Chicago uh, conference that uh, I was also in the workshop with Kevin where we worked around these uh, seven themes. And I remember that quite a few people mentioned that they had actually problems from the beginning of, of actually persuading management about the value of, of a global digital workspace, even defining what it is. So I was surprised to hear big companies actually only being at square one. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's a good, really good point. And and Jackie, any, any final remarks, um, closing remarks from you? Well, sure. Just leading on from what Morrison just said, I think I'm we're particularly lucky to be in an organisation that's actually invested in adoption and behaviour change around uh, our digital workplace. We're, we're very lucky. I think my job title kind of is testament <laughs> to that. It's quite unusual to have a head of internet and organisational behaviour change, but. Um, we, I think we still have another challenge, and that's to bring the sort of harvest the value of, our, our, of the conversations and the connections that are happening in our digital workplace and play that back into the, the fabric of our organisation. So, for example, um, you know, the quality of the conversations, the, the employee experiences, as, as Morton referred to earlier on, we need to make sure that that's getting fed back up to senior leadership, that they start to see the value of almost letting our network do the work and giving our network an active voice. It's, it fits in with our, our you know, two-way communication strategy, enabling the employee voice. That's our next step. It's getting senior leadership to recognise the value of it, which I don't think we, they do yet. And that's partly mm. why we have to you know, really uh, fight for our funding every year. Um, so that's the next step for, for us in terms of our challenge. Um, but yeah, and it, just to say thank you again it's like for, for allowing us to contribute to, to the report. It's been a really useful experience. Well... Uh, pleasure and thank you for for that and my final comment would be based on on the things in the report things that are, we've talked about today is 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 almost start from the why don't start from the from from the what or the how um you know start from why the organization's doing this what kind of organization are we trying to create why are we trying to be this type of organization what does that mean and and you know i think that message i think it was originally sort of started through a ted talk that simon sinecus did um on the, on the why and i think that that kind of understanding i think is becoming really important in in organizational change so just to say thank you so much um to all of you thank you uh, morton for joining today and to jackie and to kevin it's been a delight to have all three of you on the show today and um 
thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Digital Workplace Impact, and it's been great to bring you this content. If you'd like to listen to some more of the podcasts in the series, um, please do. The one of the uh, the kind of ones that are most popular, uh, both in my mind and also through the listeners, are the one about Barclays and Wells Fargo. Um, one of the first ones, which is called Bringing Your Whole Self to Work, and also the episode that we had about digital workplace measurement. So if you go to whatever subscription service you have for your podcasts, you can find those. Thank you for listening to Digital Workplace, and I look forward to connecting with you next time.